I've been waiting to say this a long time. We come now to the end of our series on the Gospel of Matthew. <laughs> if you're relatively new here and you wonder why there's a smattering of polite laughter, <laughs> it's because we've been, in this, uh, we've been in this book a while. I went back and looked. Some of you were there. It was January 22nd of this year. It was this year. Uh, 2023, that we began a series on the Gospel of Matthew, and we have come now to the end. We're going to conclude the series today, the series conclusion. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Seriously, yeah. Uh, I told my kid I was going to do that. She's like, you're not really going to, yeah. Matthew 1, 1. Uh, I tried to make the case on January, just, just for a second. We just got to review something. I want you to see how Matthew bookends his gospel, how in perfect parallel. Watch what he does here. I tried to make the case on January 22nd of this year. Watch what he does. Watch how he opens the gospel. Then he gives you the whole, all 28 chapters to show you what King Jesus has done, who he is, to back up these incredible claims. The thing opens with this, the, gene, the book of the genealogy of Jesus, Messiah. Or if you prefer the Greek, Christ. Christ just means Messiah. One is Hebrew, one's Greek. It's, uh, it's just his title. Uh, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. I tried to make the case right here, out of the gate. What he's trying to show you is, hey, to, to everybody who's been waiting, okay, uh, to everybody who's been waiting on this, uh, this coming king whose throne is going to last forever, it feels like maybe God has, has forgotten that. Maybe God has, has given up on that. Matthew's here to say, no, he has not forgotten. He has not given up. Matthew is referring here to a promise. A promise God made way back in 2 Samuel 7th chapter. God made this promise, this covenant to David. When God makes a promise in the Bible, we call that a covenant. And he makes this covenant to King David and he says, on your throne, okay, I'm going to build you a house, David. And on your, from your lineage, a descendant of King David is going to sit on the throne and it's going to be a kingdom that lasts forever. There'll always be someone sitting on this throne of David, all authority. Throne means authority, right? All authority, all power. And there's people that are waiting for this to happen. And the, the Israelite people in the, in the time of Matthew, you can imagine they're going, well, it's, it's just been silence. We, have, we haven't heard anything for 400 years since the prophet Malachi in the Old Testament. Is it ever going to happen? And right here, uh, Matthew is announcing a royal announcement. That promise that there was going to be authority from the line of David, He's here. It's Jesus. This is the one you've been waiting for. The one who is Messiah. The one with all authority. So you say, okay, all authority. But, but that's good news, I guess, if you're an ancient Israelite. But what does it have to do with us? What about those of us that are not ethnically Jewish or didn't grow up as an Israelite? Ah, that's that business about the son of Abraham. Right here in this first verse of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus, uh, Matthew has, has, has gone into two major covenants of the Old Testament. One is the one to David, and then he talks about the son of Abraham, reminding us of a covenant 14 generations before David. Do you remember God's promise to Abraham? Do you remember what it was? Abraham's very old. No children. Do you remember this? God takes him up a mountain in Genesis 15. He says, Abraham, look at the stars of the sky. That's a lot, right? Abraham's like, no, Lot's my nephew. Is it, no, no. I mean, it's just making sure everybody's still with, with me. He's like, no, no, no. It, your descendants 
are going to be as many as the stars in the sky. You see how you could never count all those? Yeah. So that's, how, that's how I'm going to bless you. And through your seed, here's what he says. Through your seed, Abraham, I'm going to, you ready for this? I'm going to bless who? I'm going to bless the nations. God's promise was to take this group of people, this, this family of Abraham, and, and, and not to keep that blessing locked up in those who are ethnically related to the family of Abraham, but through Abraham to bless the nations. All authority, he's the son of David. For all nations, he's the son of Abraham. All authority, all nations. Skip down a few verses, somewhere around verse 20, when the angel appears to Joseph in the dream. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. This is Joseph, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, that's Yeshua, that means Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Here he quotes Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So let's review. You got Matthew saying in the first chapter that this Jesus has all authority, and it is fulfillment of a promise to all nations, and that he is Emmanuel, God always with us, all authority, all nations, all with us. And then what happens in the Gospel of Matthew? The Gospel of Matthew is arranged around five teachings. They call them the five discourses in Matthew. The most famous one is the first one, the Sermon on the Mount. But does anybody see this connection? Here Jesus gives these five teachings, just like the five books of Moses that form the Torah. And so he gives his commands over and over. Doesn't he say in the gospel of Matthew, look, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. So here you have a teacher with all authority. And what does he do throughout the gospel of Matthew? He keeps calling disciples. He's calling people to give their life for him, to follow him. Incredible ways he would say this. If anyone would come after me, he's got to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He says, if anyone wants to keep his life, he'll lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake is the one who will find it. He's calling for all obedience to all his commands, all allegiance. Here's all I wanted you to see. They're right here. In the Gospel of Matthew, what you have, what he's setting up, is you have a king with all authority, good news for all nations, who demands all allegiance to all his commands, and who is with us all ways. All, all authority, all nations, all commands, all ways. I thought about calling this sermon, For Alls for All Y'all, but I didn't for obvious reasons. But that's it. That's it. So then you get the whole gospel of Matthew, and how did it play out? Jesus fulfilled, I mean, think about it. Think about how far we've come from January of this year. Jesus has fulfilled everything Scripture prophesied about him. That's why uh, I, I titled the series Matthew, That It Might Be Fulfilled. How many times in the gospel of Matthew has it been said over and over again, Jesus did this, that it might be fulfilled, that some Old Testament prophecy would be made, and Jesus would just check that box, just check. Check, check, just, just fulfilling all these ancient prophecies showing that Jesus is not just out of the blue, he's out of the blueprint, that it might be fulfilled in the salvation history and the plan of God. He fulfilled all that scripture prophesied. What did Jesus do? He loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He loved his neighbor. He healed people. He forgave sin. And now we've seen him last few weeks. He, he went to the garden. He fulfilled his mission on the cross to die as a ransom for sinners. And we've reached the end, or what his followers assumed was the end. But then comes Matthew 28. 
Now you can turn to the last chapter in Matthew. Now that you've seen that the first chapter sets up all authority to all commands, where he has uh, good news for all nations and promises through Emmanuel, he will be with us always. Now turn your attention to Matthew 28, verse 1, which if you've been part of this series is probably where you thought we would start (laughs) the message. Now you can go there. Matthew 28. Jesus has been crucified. His followers have seen him dead, laid in the tomb, the disciples are scared to death. On, after that terror of Good Friday, they're confused. They feel hopeless. They're feeling all the emotions, probably most of which was fear. They realize they, they, they came for our leader, Jesus. They're going to come for us. It's only a matter of time. You may wonder why they didn't bolt out of Jerusalem as quickly as possible and head back to Galilee and maybe enter sort of a witness protection program. Maybe they could, they could uh, deny ever having anything to do with Jesus and maybe, just maybe, avoid that dreadful knock of a Roman soldier who was coming looking for any followers of this would-be Messiah Jesus to come and to crucify them as well. They didn't escape on that Saturday, I think, because it would have been completely conspicuous. It would have been obvious. Think about it. It's the Sabbath. The city would have shut down on that Saturday. So they remained locked Other gospels tell us they remain behind locked door. Scurrying out of town on the Sabbath, they would have been instantly arrested. So I think what they're hoping is that on Sunday morning, when the city opens back up, they can sort of scoot out of town unnoticed. But something else happens after the Sabbath on that first Lord's Day, on that Sunday morning. Look at verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. Now, I I can't comment on every one of these verses because i got to save myself something to preach on Easter. (laughs) But you see what's happening here, right? There's this earthquake, this cataclysmic event, and the angel rolls back the stone. Why, to let Jesus out? No, Jesus is long gone. He rolls back the stone, not to let Jesus out, but to let the disciples in. Come see. He goes, see for yourself. And for fear of him, how did the guards do with this angel? Well, for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. They just pass out from fear and shock. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. Maybe best line in all of scripture. Maybe. Isn't that great? He is not here. Where is he? I did, he he's just not here. The angel doesn't say where Jesus is. He's just not here. We have a deity who is on the loose. Parts unknown. But I tell you one place he's not. He's not dead and in a grave, which is after people are crucified and dead and a spear is driven through them and they're stone cold dead. You expect them to remain in the place of the dead in the grave. And that's the one place he is not. He is not here. They must have been stunned. So he adds, for he is risen. They must have been stunned again, so he adds, as he said. Now, this is the only part where the angel, you know, from the angel's perspective, to be fair to the angel, the angel's like, he legit said, like, multiple times, I'm going to be crucified. The angel's like, yeah, but he spoke in parables. Sometimes he did. Sometimes, right? A kernel of wheat has to fall to the ground and die, but when it dies and buries, it comes up forth a big harvest, right? Sometimes, okay, that's a parable. Other times he would say stuff like this. I'm going to go into Jerusalem and be crucified. Then on the third day, rise again from the dead. That's not a parable, right? 
So from the angels, they're scratching their head like, I just don't understand why everybody's not lined up at the tomb. He literally said this. They line up. They line up. You've seen what these humans will do when they open a new Chick-fil-A. They'll line up around. And yet here, here they won't. I mean, come on. What, 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 what's happening? So he, so he adds, as he said, to remind you, go back to the word of God. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. We'll come back to that. This is multiple times he mentions Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. As if to say, you know, you you didn't do a great job listening to Jesus, but maybe you'll listen to me. (laughs) I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. I love that fear and great joy. What a a, a perfect description of human emotion in that moment. See, we've had 2,000 years to look back and reflect on the resurrection. We've had 2,000 years to think about, but I promise, if, come on, right? If you had been there, those women, their first thought was not, he is risen. Let's dress up next year in pastel colors <laughs> and hide a bunch of eggs, and, right? Like it wouldn't be like, he is risen, everything's good. There would be great joy But not first. What does it say? Fear and great joy. Angel, earthquake, cataclysmic, dead body, not there. Fear and great joy. Now, if you don't believe that fear and great joy can coexist, I don't think you're reflecting properly on the cataclysmic events in your own life. You've had moments where there's no other way to say it. Fear and great joy simultaneously. I remember when Jackie came to me and announced that she was pregnant with her first child. Fear and great joy. I remember thinking, yes! Ah! (laughs) Right? Who's prepared for that moment? Fear and great joy. But here's all I knew. Here's all I knew. From this moment on, my whole world is going to change. The resurrection is God's way of announcing, from now on, your whole world is going to change. Fear and great joy. And behold, Jesus met them. How great is this? Now Jesus himself joins in on it. Jesus met them and said, greetings. <laughs> Come on, of all, of all the things he could have said. What's up? Right? There's a story told about a little, a little girl in Sunday school class, and a preacher was going to ask a trick question. What's the first word Jesus said after he had risen from the dead? One little girl, I know, yeah, he goes, she says, ta-da, like, <laughs> this is kind of the ta-da, greetings, oh, it's so good, he, he loves them, he loves it, and, and they came, and watch this, they took hold of his feet and worshipped him, then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me, just a quick comment on this, there's a lot of nonsense that you read and, and you watch. People say, well, you know, um, Jesus never really claimed to be God. He never claimed to be equal to God. He was happy just to be a prophet. That's simply not true. And there's lots of places you can go in Scripture. Here's just one. They fall down. These are monotheistic Jews. Their whole life, what have they been taught? One God. You worship God alone. Anything you worship that's not God is an idol and it's blasphemy, right? That's their whole world, monotheistic. And here they bow down and worship Jesus. And you know what Jesus does? Allows it. Why? See, if Jesus is just a man, then what he would have said is, get up, what, what, what are you doing? Get up, he would have torn his clothes. This is blasphemy, guys. What are you, no, 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 no. But he doesn't do that. 
No, instead he says, don't be afraid. He receives worship of other humans. He receives their worship. Why? Because he is God. See? So what does he say? Go and tell my brothers. Now, come on, right? Parents, you don't have to admit to this, but you ever been so upset that you look at your spouse and you say, what your child did today? What are you doing? You're distancing yourself from having anything to do with this kid, right? Wouldn't you think after all, just when Jesus needed his followers the most, these guys desert him, especially Peter who said, even if everybody else deserts you, I'll stick with you. Think about how they have failed him. Think about how we have failed our Lord. And what does Jesus say? Go tell y'all's friends. Go tell who? My brothers. He calls them my brothers because he says, look, we share a heavenly father. Incredible. That's the second time, by the way. Go to Galilee. There they'll see me. And then next we have a tale of two messengers. Uh, uh, one, one, so, the, so the women are sent with truth and hope, but other messengers are sent in lies and darkness. Verse 11, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. How'd you like to be on that little committee meeting? So uh, angel, earthquake, I don't know where to start. The, the man is legit risen from the dead. So... You do what you want. We're all going to get saved because, like, it, when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, uh, what do they do? They basically buy them off. They gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, <clears throat> tell people uh, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Yeah, right. Like, what soldier is going to be like, yeah, we, well, we were just falling asleep on our post, you know, as we do. Uh, right? So they buy him off. I know it's a lie. Where do you start? Ridiculous. Well, obviously, it's going to get back to the governor, and they anticipate that. If this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him. We'll just keep paying people off. We'll satisfy him, keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. There's a lot we could talk about that. Let's, let's close this series by focusing here, verses 16 through 20. The final four verses in Matthew. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our focal text today is a familiar one. It even has a nickname. Perhaps you've heard this passage called the Great Commission, where Jesus commissions his followers. We're going to walk through this text and apply it as follows. If you're a note taker and you want three application points, here they are from the Great Commission. Number one, believe the claim. Number two, obey the commission. And number three, embrace the king. You might want to write that down. Believe the claim. Obey the commission. Embrace the comfort of the risen Lord Jesus who has all authority and who is with us always. He's the king. Embrace the king.
Got it? It starts with this meeting on a mountain. Go back to verse 16. Now the 11 disciples, who's that? That's the 12 disciples minus Judas, went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. This meeting on the mountain must have been very important because uh, this is now the third time Jesus said, go to Galilee. Get these disciples together. We're going to have a meeting on the mountain back in Galilee. Uh, Way back in uh, Matthew 26, before the crucifixion, 26 verse 32, he says, all of you are going to be scattered, but here's the deal. After I am raised up, I'll meet you on the mountain in Galilee. He tells them once. Then he tells, the, the, the angel says again, right, you're going to the mountain. And then the third time, tells the women, go tell my brothers, meet me on that mountain in Galilee. This is going to be an important meeting on the mountain because you get three reminders. How many of you know when something is really important, you don't just give yourself one reminder, you give multiple If you have an absolutely important appointment in the morning, you set your alarm. How many of you do this? You set your alarm, then you do what? Then you set a backup alarm, right? Now, how many of you have ever set a backup to the backup alarm, right? Why do you do that? You say, well, three reminders because this is a can't-miss appointment. This must be a can't-miss meeting on the mountain because Jesus gives us three reminders. And notice where he takes them. Notice where the meeting is. It's way up north back in Galilee. Where's Galilee? Guys, Galilee's where it all started. That's where he first called those fishermen. You think they had any idea? Come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Embrace Jesus and watch what happens. Discover what's next. Where Matthew was at that tax collector booth, way up there in Galilee. Can I, can I just say, as you think about how Matthew relates to your own relationship with Jesus, isn't it something that he calls you back to where it all started? When is the last time you've gone back to your Galilee? When's the last time? Has it been a while since you've considered? Do you remember where you were? Do you remember what you were doing? Do you remember who you were? Do you remember how far he has brought you? Do you remember where you were when he first whispered your name? Do you remember when he said to you, come follow me and discover what's next? Do you remember where you were? It's probably be good advice this weekend. Take some time and think about where you were when he first whispered your name and he said to you, I have a plan for you. Well, it's interesting, this topography in the Gospel of Matthew. There's these three mountains, aren't they? Here we are in a mountain in Galilee at the very end of the book. Jesus' ministry starts on a mountain. There's a mountain in the middle, and now it ends with this commissioning on the mountain. It started on a mountain. You remember his very first public sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He starts on a mountain. In the middle of his ministry is the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter, James, and John get to see Jesus' glory revealed. A little, little bit of a, the veil is pulled back a little bit and they get to see exactly who he is. And now it ends with this commissioning on a mountain. Perhaps this, all this mountain is an allusion to Jesus as the new Moses issuing his instructions from a new and better Sinai. Well, at any rate, Jesus must have gotten there first because it says, and when they saw him, can you imagine? They saw him, risen Lord, nail scars in his hand, nail scars in his feet, the the wound, the scar from the sword in his side. He's been dead, crucified, dead as a doornail, dead, and now alive again. What happened? Well, when they saw him, they worshiped him, obviously, but some doubted. Now, that is absolutely incredible to me. Am I the only one? He's the risen Lord Jesus. He was dead. Now he's back from the grave. And people are like, I don't, I don't know. 
What would it, <laughs> what would it take? But here's the thing. I find this verse so encouraging. The word doubted there is the same word that means hesitated. We've seen it one other time in uh, Matthew when Peter walked on the water. Do, do you remember that? I, I told the early service that Matthew walked on the water. That, that's not right at all. Uh, but when Peter walked on the water, uh, Jesus rescues him after he sinks, and he says, oh, you of little faith, why did you, why did you doubt? Why did you hesitate? Uh, it's the same word. To me, this is so encouraging. Here's what I mean. Like, for anybody who's here today who's like, I- I'm a follower of Jesus, I worship him, but I wrestle with doubt, I struggle with doubt. I guess, like, I guess you and I would say, Jesus, before you give the Great Commission, you better make sure your followers are rock solid 100%. But he's like, I'm willing to go forward with worship and some doubted. No, 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 you need to get like everybody unanimous, like 100% or nothing, Jesus. No, he's perfectly willing to launch his movement with feeble, feeble, imperfect, finite, weak, doubting, sinful people. He is willing to entrust the most important mission on the planet, the Great Commission, to weak, finite, sinful, doubting people. And he still is. You may have your doubts today, but their doubts didn't keep them away. They drew them in. And I pray today God would draw you in. And then Jesus speaks. The risen Lord Jesus speaks. And before he gives the commission, he makes a claim. That's why that first point is believe the claim. What is the claim? And Jesus came and said to them the following claim. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now this is not technically the commission. This is the claim. The claim comes before the commission because the commission is based on the strength of the claim. If you're going to have a commission that is throughout the rest of time until Jesus returns, if you're going to have a commission that is going to send people all over the globe and sometimes into very hard places, you better have a foundation for sending that kind of commission, and he does. It's the claim. Before you obey the commission, you've got to believe the claim. And what's the claim? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's Jesus' claim. Translation, I'm in charge now. Absolutely sovereign. You know, if you only memorize one verse in Matthew, Matthew 28, 18, you could do a lot worse than that. That may be the key verse right there. All authority in heaven on earth. Not only authority up there in the heavens, did you see that? Heaven and on earth. Not only authority up there, but also down here. Not only is Jesus ruling right now, all authority, he is the supreme ruler over all the archangels, Michael and Gabriel and all the angels. He is ruling over Satan and all the fallen angels, but also here on earth. Every man, woman, boy, and girl, every single square inch of this universe is rightfully his. All authority in heaven and on earth. Not only in heaven, but in history. Not only in eternity, but in time. Now, how can he back up this claim? Anybody can say that. I mean, anybody can say, I'm the supreme ruler. All authority in heaven and earth. Anybody can say. In fact, throughout history, crazy people have, have, have been crazy enough to say this. That I'm it. I'm the dictator of the world and I get all authority in heaven and earth. I mean, anybody can say this. As H.P. Charles says, look, if, if, you have, if you walk around your house and you say, I'm the, ma- I'm the man of this house. I'm the man of this house. I'm the man of this house. He says, if you keep having to walk through your house saying you're the man of this house, here's one thing I know for sure. You are not, in fact, the man of this house, right? What's his point? He's right. His point is, talk is cheap. Anybody can make this claim. Why does it matter that Jesus makes it? 
I can give you four reasons he can back it up. You ready? Here they are. Watch. Resurrection. <laughs> it's one reason. Resurrection. That's it. And all my note takers are mad at me because they were ready for four good. Everybody see what I'm saying? He's back from the dead. When the one who is raised from the dead says all authority in heaven and on earth, the resurrection is everything. You think about it. As Christians, we base everything on the resurrection. It's like, any questions? How can you say all authority in heaven and on earth is given you? It's like, well, do you know anybody else that after they're dead, God raises them from the dead? That they have power over not only life, but life and death? Everything is the resurrection. By the way, if you ask me why I'm a Christian, the answer is a dead Nazarene Jew got up and walked out of a grave. That's it. That's my reason. You know, what about apologetics and a reasoned defense of the faith? I love apologetics. Here's my apologetic. A, a dead Nazarene Jew named Jesus got up and walked out of a grave. That's everything to me. In fact, if you were to say, well, why do you believe the old... Why do you believe the Old Testament scriptures are the inspired word of God? How can we know and truly trust the words? Here's my answer. Because the guy who got up out of a grave believed them. Good enough for me. I'll do anything that the guy who got up and walked out of a grave says to do. You know why? Because I'd like to get up and walk out of a grave one day. I want to learn from that. I want to be a follower of him. When he says all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me, I believe him. Why? Because he's alive. So somebody sent me this article, and uh, it was about something else, but this is, it was kind of a throwaway line, but I, I, this is what I glommed onto. This guy is a Christian counselor, and for anybody who comes to his counseling office, he says he begins with the same question. He didn't used to do this. Now he does it every time. Whatever you come into his counseling office for, whatever it is, whatever malady or anxiety or depression or, or darkness, or whatever it is, he begins with this question. Before we begin, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Many of his clients are Christians, and so they will say, yes. Let us begin. See, if you're going to counsel somebody and you're going to help them understand, you can... You can change. The darkness doesn't last forever. We're going to get through this. You can overcome. You're starting with, there's going to be pushback. There's going to be a lie from the enemy that says, no, you can't. No, it won't. No, it's impossible. That's why you start with, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Because if Jesus rose from the dead, all your problems look a little different behind the backdrop of an empty tomb. And if he rose from the dead, what can he not do in your life this morning? What can he not do? All authority means all authority in heaven and on earth. Well, this would be magnificent in itself. It's also a fulfillment. That's why all over and over in Matthew, that it might be fulfilled. This is a fulfillment of the words from Daniel chapter seven. Daniel has this vision in, in, in the seventh chapter of Daniel. and There's this prophecy about this one who's called son of man. Here, here it is, Daniel 7, 13 to 14. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Jesus always uh, referred to himself, well, often referred to himself in Matthew as son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, that's, uh, that's God, and was prevented before, presented before him. And what happened? And to him, to the son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." So there's this ancient prophecy that one called the Son of Man will be given all authority in heaven on earth. Prophecy made in Daniel chapter 7, prophecy fulfilled at the resurrection of Jesus in Matthew 28. 
And, and isn't it interesting that actually at the beginning of his ministry, do you remember way back in Matthew 4 when Satan tries to tempt Jesus? Isn't it interesting that one of the temptations Satan tries to tempt him with is to get that without going the way of the cross? Do you remember this? One of the temptations Satan says to him, he shows him all the kingdoms of all the nations, and he says, all of these I will give to you if you just bow down and worship me. Do you remember that? Jesus rejects that temptation because he knows what he's doing. He's asking him to get all these kingdoms without the cross. They weren't Satan's to give, but here, Jesus, by going the way of the cross, what happens? By being obedient unto that... What, what, what ends up happening? He ends up getting all the dominion. That's why there's that hymn in Philippians chapter two where Paul writes that Jesus, being equal with God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant, being found in the fashion of a servant. He, 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 he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. By going the way of the cross, he earned all of this authority and because of that, what happened? Because he was obedient unto death, because he rejected the temptation of Satan and instead went the way of the cross, what does Paul say happened? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given Jesus the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow on things on the earth and above the earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord, all to the glory of God the Father. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus. So when, 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 when we go forth as Christians in this world and when, when we try to live for Christ and love our neighbor and share the good news of the gospel, it may be that you wonder like, well, who are you? Who do you think you are to, to boldly preach the gospel or to share your faith? Who do you think you are? The answer is it doesn't matter who I think I am. I'm coming on a commission from the one with all authority. I wrote this down. The mission of the church is based on the authority of Jesus, not the ability of the disciples. It's not about the ability of the disciples. It's about the authority of Jesus. Well, if you believe that he has all authority, then these last two uh, should move pretty quickly because once you establish that he has all authority, then therefore, if he is who he says he is, you must obey the commission. It's like, if I believe the claim, therefore, I will obey the commission. That's why verse 19 has a therefore baked into it. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The controlling verb there is make disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple, I think, the best way to understand disciple, a disciple is an apprentice of Jesus. An apprentice. He's saying, go, and, and you're an apprentice of Jesus. You've learned. He's telling his disciples, you've learned from me. That's why he said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be an apprentice. That's why, by the way, there should be no confusion as to who's a disciple in this room right now. That is interesting. As a pastor over the years, I, I found there's a lot of confusion around this word disciple. Uh, uh, if I asked you, as, you, as everybody who's exiting today, as you're leaving church, I just do a little exit interview. Uh, just yes or no, are you a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you? That should be like unequivocally yes or no. But you'd be surprised how many people will answer with something like, I hope so. I want to be. I, I think you misunderstand what a disciple is. A disciple is an apprentice. Look, you can go get apprenticed right now. Um, you... you you travel just south of here, and if you want to become a welder, 
You can go down to Wallace and you can go to a welding instructor and you can become an apprentice in welding. And you don't so much care about head knowledge, you don't care about all the book smarts, you wanna be able to do what that welder can do. You want that skill. And so to get that skill, you've gotta become a welding apprentice in this program and they will teach you how to do this, right? And then now, you, then you will be able to do that skill. You wanna be able to do what the master teacher can do, right? And so you become an apprentice. Now, if I walked up to you as you were leaving church and I asked you, hey, are you, in, are you, in, are you enrolled in that, in that um, welding apprenticeship program down at Wallace? I can't imagine anybody would like him and haul about that. You would probably say, yes or no. Why would you, right? right? I can't imagine anybody being like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, like, you'd think the big flamey torch thing would, like, let you know. Like, you, like what, what do you mean you don't know? Yeah, I try, I try to be. I want to be. Maybe I am. On good days, like, what, what are you talking about? You're either in the program or you're not. If you want to learn how to weld, you go become an apprentice to a welding instructor. If you want to learn how to play piano, you become an apprentice to a piano instructor. If you want to learn how to get up out of a grave after you're dead, there's only one teacher that can teach you that. So you apprentice yourself in the school of Jesus. Now, let me ask you, are you an apprentice in the school of Jesus? Because when most people answer, are you a disciple, what they think, what, what they think I'm asking is, are you a really good disciple? And they're like, well, I don't know. So if you're in a welding program, I didn't ask you, are you good at welding? I didn't ask you, are you far along? You're an apprentice. Being an apprentice means a lot of times, mostly what you're doing is getting corrected. How much in the Gospel of Matthew do we see his apprentices, his disciples, what are they doing? They're always getting corrected. That's how being an apprentice works. So if I ask you, are you a disciple of Jesus? What I'm asking is, are you an apprentice of Jesus? Have you decided, I'm in the Jesus school, man. I want to learn how to do life from Jesus. He is my teacher. He is my master. I want to apprentice myself to him. That's a much easier question. And it shouldn't him and Hall. You should be able to say, absolutely, yes. Or if you've rejected Jesus, he's not worthy of being your master. You should be able to say, absolutely not. I'm not an apprentice to Jesus. But don't, 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 don't answer the question as if I'm asking, how far along are you in the school of Jesus? Because if you say, oh, I should be further along with Jesus than I am. Well, congratulations. Every disciple of Jesus has always said that, Right? I mean, what would be the alternative? Can you imagine meeting a disciple of Jesus who said, I've arrived, I have achieved perfection, right? You're like, you are delusional, right? So of course it feels like you're a beginner sometimes as an apprentice. That's what an apprentice is. Just stay in the school. Even if you think I'm failing a lot as a follower of Jesus. Hey, I'd rather be an F student failure in the school of Jesus than the valedictorian in the school of wickedness, wouldn't you? So stay in the Jesus school. Learn from him. He's gentle and humble in heart. And he's saying, now go and make disciples. Make these apprentices of all nations. The go here, uh, i got to do this quickly. But yeah, I, <sighs> Preachers always have to decide what to do with this word go because you can make too much of it or too little. So for years, some people hesitated on this go word because they felt like, some people felt like unless they were an international missionary that they were failing at the Great Commission. The fact of the matter is, they will point out, it actually means as you go or while going, <laughs> make disciples. Meaning you, as you go through life, be about bearing faithful witness to Jesus and make disciples. And so for years, that was sort of the thrust, the emphasis. I personally happen to think that that, that 
emphasis has been overemphasized, and now we need a new emphasis to remind everybody not to make this error, that yes, it is true, technically, you can be about global missions wherever you are. Yes, that's true. But I also would like to point out that go does mean go. Go means go. Uh, If we're going to make disciples of all nations, unless all the nations come right here one day, uh, then we've got to go. And I don't know any other way around it than to put a missionary at the exact point of lostness. An actual flesh and blood missionary needs to be right at that point of lostness, which is the world's greatest need, by the way, is lostness. And I have prayed and will continue to pray that God will raise up missionaries right here out of this church. And some have gone on short-term trips and it is very possible that right here, uh, God will call somebody and maybe is already dealing with you about being an international missionary. And if that's you, I'm gonna pray that you heed that call and that you say yes, because go does mean go. Uh, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What do you do when you make a disciple? When someone becomes a believer in Jesus, what do you do? He says you mark them. How? Baptism. Baptism is the outward sign I'm a Jesus follower. Why do you think when we baptize people, we let them say out loud, Jesus is Lord, I'm not ashamed. Baptism is the equivalent of putting the jersey on. You know, a lot of football this weekend. I love it when they pan the crowd. One of my favorite things to see in the crowd, especially you go to these NFL games and you see all these crowd, you know, and they're so, you know, fired up. My favorite thing is when they show just a sea of the home team jersey and there's that one guy with the visiting team, like, you know, just totally countercultural. I love that. As if... That guy is not going to change jerseys just because he's in a place where it's hostile to that jersey. Does that make sense? He's got that jersey on, and it doesn't matter. And he, that guy probably goes to a lot of home games, and at the home games, it's easy to wear the jersey. It's easy to be bold. Everybody's on the same team. But when he goes into the opposing team, when he goes into that visitor uh, uh, stadium, and it's very hostile, does he change jerseys? Of course not. Why? Because he doesn't expect everybody to agree with him. He doesn't expect everybody to cheer for his team. But he's not going to change jerseys just because sometimes it's easier to wear a jersey and sometimes it's not. Let me say that again. He's not going to change jerseys just because sometimes it's easy to be known for something and sometimes it's not. Christian, there may be times in your life where it is You live perhaps in a culture or a country or in a place in time or the world where it is very easy to be a Christian in the sense that you you have a favorable position in society. It could be as culture changes that people become very hostile toward Christians in society. Baptism says, I've got the jersey on and I'm not gonna change my allegiance just because it maybe is easier one place than another. Does that make sense? That's what baptism does. And that's why baptism comes on this side of your salvation. First the person is saved, then they're baptized. If you were sprinkled or christened as an infant, then I would encourage you, not because you feel pressured, not because you feel coerced, but out of obedience to this scripture to get your baptism on the correct side of your salvation. And be baptized. If you're delaying in that step, again, it doesn't need to be because you feel coerced. It doesn't need to be because you want some warm spiritual experience. You need to be baptized out of one reason, obedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Let's schedule a baptism. Let these words work on you. The only person who can convince you of this is you. The Holy Spirit, using these words, will touch your heart. Be obedient. Be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Real quickly, he doesn't say the names Father, Son, and Spirit. One name. Why? 
One God, three persons. Basically what he's saying is disciplize them, baptize them, and trinitize them. Okay. Teach them to obey. Do you see that? Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, not just head knowledge, but obey. And what, is it, what, what was the greatest command he commanded us, by the way? Remember? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, Lord, give us a church that's not just head knowledge, but obeys from the heart. It can actually do this stuff. Uh, I think I, I, I said long ago when, in our series on the, when, when we got to chapters 5, 6, and 7, there's a man at this church a lot of people respect, and uh, he's not able to come every week now um, because of, he lives in a home, and he uh, uh, struck me that uh, so many people look at this man. I'd say his name, but he'd be embarrassed, but uh, so many people look at this man as such a model of faithfulness, and he is, such a model of godliness, and he is. And I was struck uh, when he uh, shared at a funeral once that him and this buddy that he was talking about that had died, they read a portion of the Sermon on the Mount every day. Why? Because he could have more head knowledge? Because he was an apprentice in the school of Jesus, and he wanted to live like Jesus taught to live. Embrace the king. That's it. Brandon's going to come and lead us in a time of response. Believe the claim, obey the commission, and embrace the king. Somebody needs to take comfort for this. Don't close your Bible just yet. Look at this verse. Look at this verse. Somebody needs to see this. Somebody needs to hear this. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I don't know who, but somebody needs that. There could be somebody who feels very far from God. You need to see this promise of Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the risen Lord Jesus is, in fact, here with you right now. There's a story told of G. Campbell Morgan, famous preacher from long ago, brilliant theologian, incredible orator, and he was visiting a little old lady who was a widow and uh, was trying to bring her some measure of comfort, and so he opened up his Bible to Matthew chapter 28 at the very end, and he shared with her this verse, and behold, the Lord Jesus said, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And he looked at this dear old saint, and he said, Madam, doesn't it bring you great comfort to hear this promise of Jesus. And this great theologian, this famous pastor, got a little rebuke from that little old lady. A gentle rebuke. And she said, well, pastor, technically that's not a promise. It's a fact. You may think she's splitting hairs, but she's right. If I promise I will be with you tomorrow, that's a promise for tomorrow. If I say, look at me, look at me right now, I'm with you. I want you to ponder that right now, the power of God in your life. Yeah, there'll be a tomorrow, but tomorrow's promise is for tomorrow. Right now, what does he say? I am with you always. The one who said, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. And, 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 and the one whose gospel is for all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. And he told him to be obedient to all that I've commanded. And he closes the whole gospel with what promise? Which is in fact, not a promise, but a fact. I am with you always. So Matthew ends right where he started. The little baby that's going to be born of the virgin will be called Emmanuel. God with us. You may get done with a series like Matthew and you think, man, I, I don't know if I can live up to all this. I, I don't know. It's, this is a great commission. Perhaps this is too lofty that the good news is going to go to the ends of the earth and I'm going to be this disciple. Consider who wrote it. Whose name is on this gospel? Who, you know, 
Consider the one who was a despised tax collector. He was no stronger than any of the other disciples. And God took this man, Matthew, from little faith to a great apostle. Over time, by looking at Jesus and listening to his words, he eventually mastered this material enough to pass it along to us. And for anybody who thinks, well, you know, I can't get there, consider Matthew. Every believer can grow as Matthew did. The words and presence of Jesus transformed Matthew, and they will transform you by looking to Jesus Look at what he has done for us and our salvation. He has all authority to bring good news to all nations, teaching allegiance to all his commands. And lo, he is with you always. And with that, we'll close our series on the gospel of Matthew. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word from this gospel. We thank you, Lord, that your presence is right now. And we thank you, Lord, because we know that there are some here that desperately need a word from you. They desperately need to sense your comfort and know your presence, and they need the fact that the risen Lord Jesus through the Holy Spirit is here right now with them. Grant them that. Lord, grant that we could grow in our discipleship. Grant that we could become more and more like Jesus. As we are your apprentices, grant, Lord, that we could stay in the school and learn from you, grow to be like you, and live more and more into the Sermon on the Mount and all the teachings from Matthew. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.